Please welcome uh, Neil Gibbons, Rob Gibbons and Steve Coogan. I just did, I think. I just did, yeah. I thought I'd officially welcome <laughs> to the stage. Yeah, another embarrassing round of applause. <laughs> um, what a joy to have Alan back. So what kind of were you looking to explore with Alan with this particular show? Um, I mean, we, we... Contractual we, obligations. We got the commission, yeah. <laughs> we, you know, we believe in fulfilling commissions. Um, we well, we just wanted to uh, do something that was um, just move it on a bit, you know, try and explore something, you know, just because people know the character so well now, I thought it'd be interesting to just apply it to a kind of um, uh, some of those territories that we've become familiar with, with the, with the uh, sort of plethora of uh, documentaries that we're, uh, we're subjected to um, <laughs> these days, and uh, you know, sort of amalgamate them all into something, and also the kind of the um, the uh, confessional documentary, the Mayor Culpa uh, documentary, which has uh, found some uh, traction of late. Um, yeah, there was um, the, the Ron, At Ron Atkinson one. Yes. Where he had to go on a journey to realise that it was wrong to be racist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what, what his conclusion was. I hope it was the right one, but it was Big Ron, so you never know. Yeah. Um, but we did a, we did a document, mock documentary with Alan a few years ago called yeah. Welcome to the Places of My Life, which was... Uh, Kind of a travelogue, a sort of take on the travelogue documentary, and um, that was that was fun because when we did Mid Morning Matters, it's kind of undistilled partridge. It's just uh, obviously it's just him in the radio studio, and sometimes when you're writing comedy, that kind of restriction is really helpful. Uh, you know, when you it's like when you're at school and the teacher leaves the room and says you can talk about anything, you never have anything to say, but when you have to talk about a very specific things, some, sometimes that helps. But I guess, on, on the other hand, uh, when we did Places of My Life, it was really fun to allow Alan to have his take on the documentary format. So in, in a way, it's a sequel to that. But I guess also, it just felt quite timely because um, uh, of several things, really. It contains that element of sort of public shaming, yeah. which uh, I know John Ronson's making mm -hmm. some money out of now. Yeah. <laughs> He's written a great book. <laughs> That's yeah. what I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I think there's like self-shaming as well. I think there's um, a trend to really for people to really self-flagellate because it shows, they think it shows humility. So I think Alan's take on this was that um, rather than just not mentioning what he'd done, he would actually gain points and come out like in a high position. Yeah, he saw an opportunity in, be in, in being uh, prejudiced. He saw an opportunity to spin it in his favor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because in, in Welcome to the Places of My Life, you, 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 you also had, you kind of spoof history as well, that history shows with, with the classic stuff in Norwich. And, um, and you're also, I guess, spoofing the documentary film. Being a Pear Tree production had that kind of slightly shoddy, sometimes majorly shoddy, mm. which, you, which you continue. That, so it, it kind of works on various levels in that way. Yeah, we, had to, we discussed early on whether it should be a Pear Tree Productions thing or whether it should be Alan is being filmed by an actual documentary queue, because there are, there are merits to both, really. Yeah. Uh, you know, if it wasn't being made by Alan, you'd get those opportunities where the documentary maker kept in little glimpses of some off-camera glimpses that Alan wouldn't want you to see. So we sort of try and have our cake uh, and eat it in this because the stuff in there, where if, if you watch it back, you'd go, "Well, he's an idiot," but you'd never really keep those things. Yeah, but but Alan has such a lax attitude to quality control that you could <laughs> yeah. you could see him leaving stuff in, and he probably pissed the editor off as well. So the right. editor. Could quite reasonably have just left stuff into shaft in. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean, and also, but I think there's things that he thinks uh, he may have left in because he thinks it keeps it real. You know, yeah, from his yeah. point of view. Yeah. Absolutely. Let's go back to how you two got involved in, in writing for, for, for Alan. How, how did that happen? So, in case anyone doesn't know the story. 
We, um, Shall I take up the story? Yeah, thanks. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what happened? Was, well, I, I was, first, I wrote with various people over the years. First, I wrote with Patrick Marber, yeah. and then I wrote with Patrick Marber and Amanda Iannucci. And then Patrick went off to be a brilliant, uh, slightly grumpy playwright <laughs> and, uh, and, and uh, director. And, um, and then so Peter Bainham came along, then Sasha Baron Cohen um, offered him loads of money. And so he went to America and did that. And then I was sort of left really kind of, um, I sort of parked Alan about mm, uh, a few years ago, really. And because I thought, well, I, I, I've got to have you know, a good team of writers. And um, I was doing a live tour about seven years ago. And, I, uh, and, and um, Rob and Neil were doing some stuff for Baby Cow at the time. If any of this is wrong, just chip in. So anyway, I'll wait till you've finished. OK, and then just go through point by point. <laughs> point, <laughs> point. Yeah. Got a PowerPoint. Yeah. Um, and uh, so and, and they, uh, I'd, uh, they submitted some material. I said, why don't you have a go write some stuff for Alan? And I remember reading it thinking, this is fantastic. This is really funny. They get it. A lot of people think they understand the character, but they don't. And it was so spot on. I remember reading it, laughing out loud, thinking, oh, Eureka, I found these two guys. And I also had the sort of the notion that there was a different flavor to it. And um, that's, and that really, I mean, as soon as I saw that, I thought, oh, these, this, this, the, the, you know, the film and other incarnations of Alan are, are possible. And, um, and uh, it's, Definitely, I think you know they're definitely the best writers I've had on Partridge because what I think they brought to it, I think f because the characters developed a lot over the years, they brought a real um, uh, pathos and sort of humanity to him that he didn't have early on. If you look at the, some of the early stuff, although it's funny, it's very um, much uh, kind of just the sort of Schadenfreude looking at the at the fool uh, making mistakes and be, getting things wrong, uh, but in actual fact. These days, there's a bit lot more of um, there's a lot more empathy I think people have um, with Alan, and sort of sometimes think there, but for the grace of God, go I. And uh, <coughs> so it, it, it's the the tone of the material has has become more sophisticated. I think with Robin. Where we really saw your what you were capable of in terms of your range when you did Around the World in 80 Days with Jackie Chan. And we thought we could risk yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so there was a, there was some people thinking, um, can I laugh? Can we laugh at that? <laughs> start to, they start to gain momentum a little bit. And some people are still going, is that funny? <laughs> yeah. Fair, fair enough, I can take it. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've done enough in the interim to uh, you know, get myself back up there. So. Go on, carry on. But I was going to say, <laughs> Alan has, has developed, and, and I, I think that struck me on watching this and watching the, the most recent series of Mid Morning Masses that it is actually very enjoyable to be in this company. I feel I want to spend more time in Alan's company. Oh, I wouldn't uh, go that far, but. Okay. <laughs> and I know you mean, we, we, I think one, one of the changes that we brought in is that we've had Alan, it's the sort of David Cameron thing of, of realizing that you can't get away with being a right wing twat unless you sort of couch it in more liberal yeah, sort of... Well, the kind of yeah, touchy-feely stuff, uh, are the hugger-hoodie kind of um, thing that David Cameron came along with, which is that, the, that even sort of naturally xenophobic little Englanders, most of them that are in the know, realise the certain views you have to keep under a bushel these days, and you have to present things in a more liberal, friendly way. So the, the, the sort of... Um, 
the beyond pons at the moment is to, you know, even for people on the right, is to be uh, economically conservative but socially liberal. And uh, that, Alan sort of cottoned on to that. I, I don't think he's like a wolf in sheep's clothing, but I, but he's. I think all, all of these factors have, are confusing him a little bit. Yeah. So he doesn't. He's not as certain in his right wing. Instincts, yeah, yeah. The, the, as he used to be. But but in terms of the social li liberalism, he might he he, do, he handles it quite clumsily. So rather than, for example, thinking, well, now it's okay to be friends with a gay person, he would he would talk about it a lot, mm. and he'd say things like, you know, I, I, I don't know what I was worrying about. It was it's okay. Mm. <laughs> yeah, he's he, he's um, great impersonation, by the way. Because um, <laughs> you hung me out to dry earlier. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Uh, no, but um, it's, uh, it, 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 yeah, there's something uh, we find, just personally, we find funnier with someone struggling with um, uh, s social mores uh, surrounding, surrounding sort of a more tolerant society um, and seeing someone try, trying to say the right thing than someone who's just, uh, you know, just secretly racist or homophobic. Um, that, that there's, a, there's a sincerity to it, but a sort of ham-fistedness. sort of... Um, yeah, it's it's a kind of uh, the kind of thing that you see amongst well, the the older generation who try to are trying to keep up with mm. social change. And he tries to be accepted by everyone, and we see him in this trying to be accepted by the kids. By mm. you know, that, that's a kind of natural human. I feel like trying to do that all the time as well. Yeah, yeah a, a lot of what he does, he's seen someone else do, and it went well for them. So he's <laughs> having, a, having a stab at that. Um, Particularly in the the documentary and the autobiography, he sort of he's, he's he sort of puts his finger in the air and see what plays well, and then has a bit of a stab at it, and obviously comes up short. But it's it's him sort of flailing around trying to find something that works and that will get him back to the big time. There yeah. is that there is that cynical approach, but I think he does want to be liked. He genuinely wants to be liked mm. as well, and I think that's maybe partly what you're talking about. Mm. And that's you have sympathy for that. Yeah. That's what we all it's want. The, yeah. And it's the uh, and he he wants to have, come across as, you know, the, I think he probably David Cameron's probably a very strong role model for him because um, because for he us has all. Well, all of us yeah <laughs> um, because there's that sort of uh, blokishness um, that uh, he tries to pull off and uh, and the sort of um, uh, you know, approachability if you like um, and I think that's that sort of what Alan aspires to, really, the sort of the, yeah. So the first thing you, you wrote together for Alan was Mid Morning Matters, which was the first series, but four years ago. And how did you, well, how did the writing things, process but... work with, between you? And has that changed? Are you still kind of working in the same way? How does it work? Well, uh, that was, Armando did that, did some of that with us as well. And I remember, me and I wrote some scripts for it, and then we had a meeting with Armando and Steve. And uh, Armando said, oh, the scripts are, are, are very good, they're very good, they're very good. And Steve left it for a beat and said, uh, sort of six out of ten. Six out of ten. Um, but go. with my guidance, we got up to eight and a half. <laughs> and after that, uh, even further. Um, but uh, we sit in a room, and then and I and the three of us just really do all knock in together, and then they go away and, and write it and improve it, and I go and do something else. <laughs> yeah, long and short of it. Because that's an incredible thing. That mid-morning mid first series was a kind of Foster's thing, wasn't it? It was like an online mm. thing. Did it, was it? Did the BBC? Was it? You know, because you've been on the BBC previously. Yeah. They didn't want to. How did it end up? The BBC the... didn't want uh, uh, any Alan. Didn't, they didn't want it. Um, but then they have recommissioned Birds of a Feather, so obviously it swings around. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, you know, there's some tough decisions they have to make. 
And that series is pure. Is, do, you think, do you feel that's the most pure form of Alan now, the, the Mid-Morning Matters format? They're just not letting it, just that, that absolute laser focus on him in his habitat. I think it, it, yes. it's great because the film right, was an opportunity to like, do something and write it large and see if we could pull that off and keep it myopic but also give it something cinematic. But the, 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 the purest, I think, and also for like die-hard fans mm. who, rather than sort of the broader audience, if you like, uh, love Mid-Morning Matters because it is quite pure and it's also all about character detail because you're kind of boxed in, literally, to the radio studio. Um, then you can concentrate on real detail of, and it's all planned quite with great precision, like every look to the camera and aside and in, a moment of insecurity. Um, and every interjection from uh, uh, Tim Key at the back, who plays Psychic Simon, all those interjections are all really sort of worked out in quite detailed way to, 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 to show there's some sort of underlying narrative or tension to what's going on. So. We're ostensibly they look quite straightforward, but actually, in fact, in the execution, it's quite, it's fairly complex. And do you stick closely to to the script, or do you, in though in that? In that we stick fairly closely, I think. We, we, we do the script, to, the script sort of. It will change on the on the morning of the shoot. Yeah. Sometimes quite a lot, but once we're up and running. Once you're shooting it, then you really do have to hit the beats yeah. that you figured out previously. You might figure out some, like I said, new, some new, so just before the cameras are rolling, why don't we do this? Okay, do that there and do that and then pause there and you say that, let's just practice it one time. Okay, let's do it like that. And that, But then when the cameras are rolling, you, you, I mean, I might occasionally add an extra thing if it occurs to me, but generally we try and keep a tight rein on that because yeah. I can go off on a tangent and then start wasting it's, it's time. It's quite hard because the, very often the thing you came up with five minutes ago feels funnier than the thing you came up with five months ago, but, yes, that's but a, yeah. it very often isn't, normally isn't. So you have to... But sometimes it is. Sometimes it is, Steve. <laughs> oh, that's fair. But, um, uh, yeah, so you've, you've got to kind of try and wind, your, wind the clock back to how you felt in the yeah. right room at the time. Yeah. So yeah, you've got to, you, can't, you can't just wing it, basically. Mm. You've got to... I remember reading, a, I think, a Richard Curtis interview, and he said he would always, and on the first draft, the really good stuff he would underline in red, oh. because six months down the line, you know, I, my technique is I just remember. <laughs> I'm fascinated now, particularly with this film. Did you need to, that, the, the fantastic Tesco scene? Did you need to get their permission? Were they happy for you to to have this exploration? Uh, of world? To, we had to commit to shop only at Tesco for the next six months, but yeah. got club cards, so it yeah. makes sense. Um, yeah, um, and of course the comment Alan says, where it says Tesco's are just better than local shops. Um, well, they just took that at face value, clearly. You <laughs> um, didn't see any irony in it at all. And you can get away with saying a lot about people that way because you just say what they want you to say, but yeah. clearly you think the reverse. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to throw it open to the audience soon, but I need, a couple of things I really want to know is, from each of you is, do you have a favourite scene or episode or moment from Alan that kind of defines him for you? Or just, just, just the funniest favourite moment? Steve? Ask them first. Okay. <laughs> Ask them first. Um, I, there's a moment in the first episode we did of uh, Mid-Morning Matters that is totally inconsequential. It doesn't matter at all. But it's Alan just talking about the brunch that he had the day before. And he's trying to remember what he had. And it's dead air for about 45 seconds. <laughs> and you see in his face him going from sort of whimsy to... 
a developing panic about his immortality. <laughs> uh, I just really like that moment. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a small moment that, you know, you, you, yeah. can't, you can't, can't quote it. Maybe you can't really like write it. stuff like that. It just has to be performed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yet I did write it. <laughs> Rob? I, uh, there's a, a phone-in from, I think, the first series of Mid-Morning Matters where the question is something like, if you had to make any species of animal extinct, <laughs> which would you choose and how would you do it? And there are a lot of detailed answers, and the final answer is, is the guy who's just texted in and simply says, cats, hammers. <laughs> yeah. um, I there's, lo there's lots of moments that I, I like, and it's, it tends to be the odd, weird moments. I mean, in that documentary, I liked it when uh, Alan... Uh, says to the, uh, the aristocrat, made by Miles Jupp, um, where he says, um, uh, oh, he says, uh, I, I'm not the owner of our sites. I regard myself as a custodian. And goes, what a good attitude. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes me laugh. And, um, and also the bit where he looks at that painting and, and says, um, and he says, it's a he says she, what, uh, she's gorgeous. And, he, and, says, and then he goes, he's still pretty. Like, walk back, walk back down. Um, and in the radio series, the, when it's like they have ideal dinner party guests, and he says he would invite Jesus Christ, Margaret Thatcher, Dennis Thatcher, Carol Thatcher, and, and Mark Thatcher. And says, so you mean Jesus Christ and the Thatcher family? Says, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like, I like the sort of stupidity because it's sort of there, there are certain you know, you, there are patterns and, and like formulae in comedy that you come across, which is you have to have you know uh, three sensible ones and a silly one at the end or two sensible ones, and there's these sort of patterns and, and I like things like that that defy it. Way it's just repetition. You sort of know what's coming. And it's still funny, it's, so it doesn't. Um, it, it you know it's uh, it, it's funny because it shouldn't be. I remember in series one of me when you mentioned the Inception thing. When you're, when you're, did, did, did you write that knowing that that word would be as funny as it was of him you saying, or is that performance? Uh, no, we, no. We, 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 yeah, well, that's planned. Like, was, yeah, yeah. Well, we came up with Inception, and uh, yeah. we just thought we'd. I mean, Rob, Rob sort of repeats the word Inception anyway, <laughs> and knows it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like um, you don't, you don't, you, you decide. You often decide what is the funniest reference point, and you try and avoid those references that have been well worn and used by other people. So, and sometimes it's things that are, that the word, the first word that sounds funny is not the thing that's funny and the sort of, the more nondescript, bland, uh, seemingly um, just, um, the, almost the sort of thing is counterintuitive, the things that seem unfunny become funny because of their, oh, it's hard to describe. No, but, but also, well, that, it's interesting you pick out that moment because that is, isn't relevant to the plot of the episode right, yeah. or the thrust of the series, yeah. but sometimes they're the moments that people yeah. love the most. But it's easy to sort of lose sight of that when you're cutting episode and you're thinking of the storyline and the through line and the plot, and they sometimes mm. get lost, but they're, they're always my favorite bits, the inconsequential bits. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and what about the future? What would you like to do more with them? Would you like to do another film, another series of Morning Mass, and more films like this? We've just started writing a, a follow-up book to the autobiography, I Partridge, which... Called, um, Alan Partridge, Nomad. Um, She's so kind that. of, again, Alan has seen a sort of genre or format and, and seen a business opportunity in it. Um, he basically, um, it, it's the, that kind of book where someone retraces a sort of momentous journey made by one of their forefathers. 
Um, but Alan's forefather didn't make any momentous journey, so <laughs> he's just had to find any old journey, which, yeah. as, as it is currently, his dad went for a job interview at a power station, <laughs> which he drove to, but Alan can't drive because it'd only take him a couple of hours, so he, he decides he's going to walk the route from his house to Dungeness Nuclear Power Station. <laughs> Yeah, so... Uh, it's quite moving, actually. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, it sort of is moving sometimes. Like, that's, that's what I quite like about it. And then, in fact, the books, actually, the, the biography is quite good because it does actually uh, have sort of real... Uh, uh, some alerts to completely stupid and self-indulgent. There are funny, funny bits at the end. Uh, I mean, so moving, moving bits where it, where it starts to have real pathos. But, um, they, um, uh, but the, yeah, it's called Nomad. And it's, it, 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 he's, you know, he's got a big Afghan scarf on the cover. Um, but he actually doesn't leave Britain. I think we'll do a film one day, not yeah. maybe no time soon, but... Uh... I mean, there's lots of... Lo there's a few ideas we kick around. You know, I, I quite fancy doing a chat show of some sort. It's not, not yet, maybe in the future at some point, but... Um, I've got to convince the BBC, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Right, let's throw open to the audience. I think we've got some mics yet. Let's have a go at the end there. Oh, yep. Hi there. When your character isn't in the north of Norfolk, you tend to be in Manchester. Obviously, that applies to a lot of your other characters as well. Um, obviously, you're from Manchester originally. Do you think you can get away with a lot more stuff because you're from there? So you couldn't get away with the similar stuff if you were in Liverpool? Or Birmingham? Um, po possibly. I mean, because I'm being very insulting about my hometown. But, <laughs> but I, I suppose, yeah, in a way, there's a, there's a, yeah, there is a little bit of... Um, but having said that, you know, we sort of laughed at Norfolk, and I wasn't from Norfolk originally. I mean, I mean I, I did, we didn't know Norfolk. We just thought it was... Uh, uh, it looked geographically like it was you know, in the right place, and because uh, <laughs> it was sort of not... You don't go through it to go anywhere else. You have to go to it. Um, it's, uh, so, so that seemed appropriate, and it's, all, it's also slightly isolated in, in a way in its own area, uh, surrounded by a kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, the, the, the town itself is probably the most, I think it's the most isolated city in Britain, technically speaking, so that felt right for the character, but uh, Manchester, because I'm from Manchester, yeah, I kind of, and also it sort of exercises my slight northern chippiness, which is that sort of like patronising attitude towards the north, I thought I'd just have Alan, you know, verbalise that and, and articulate it. Um, and, uh, yeah, just... I think because Manchester is on the up as well, but Alan has, doesn't acknowledge that at all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of gives you a bit more licence. Yeah, exactly, because if it was really... It, it, we, what we wouldn't do, and we're also very careful about this, is we won't do that kind of bullying comedy, which is picking on people who are weak, genuinely weak and genuinely dispossessed or, or in some way... A, you know, genuine victim. Whereas Nicholas Witchell. Whereas Nicholas Witchell. <laughs> um, you know, he's got a good steady job. Um, uh, steady job. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, a steady job, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we, uh, and that, that's, we, we, we avoid that. So if it was like uh, seen as this uh, deprived area, then that would become too bullying. And we, we leave that to um, the old presenters of Top Gear to do, and what, whatever they're doing now to do that kind of. Yeah, we, I find that sort of. Hectoring, bullying, picking on kind of comedy. We just, we don't, we, 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 uh, we always make sure that, that if, we, if we pick on someone like that, that the joke is quite clearly on Alan and his prejudice. Um, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Hi, you um, get quite a lot of other sort of comedians in to play a lot of the other roles in, in this and in Mid Morning Matters, and I was wondering how much a lot of those people, have, I guess, have their own style 
sometimes and how much of it is your, you guys writing and then thinking what actor would best match this and how much of it is other actors coming in and, and like say with someone like Tim Key um, adding something of sort of their own thing that they do anyway into what you've created if that makes sense um, well in the film we, they just did what we told them didn't they <laughs> <laughs> but that yeah but, Tim's, but, that, Tim's but that, that, I mean, some of that was because because of the process because often it's being changed at the last minute it's in a way it's kind of unfair on some of those actors because they don't we don't we don't rehearse we don't, we don't have any rehearsal for any of it we, yeah. not, not because we we just don't we're just not organized enough mm. um, and so they don't particularly get a chance to yeah, I mean yeah. I sometimes feel sorry for uh, in particular Tim Key because he, he I just uh, adore Tim Key I, I just think he's one of the greatest comedians I've ever seen, I, re I really do, and he doesn't really get the chance to do much more than raise his eyebrows and sort of be... Yeah, but, 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 but he is incredible value for money because he really does uh, <laughs> find stuff that Literally. is not... That is, that, you, know, he you, can't, you can't coach someone to do what he does intuitively. His looks are perfectly measured. They don't, he never mugs, they always look real and authentic. You can see a sort of a, you can see, you can read so much into his face. It's sort of in a turmoil of <laughs> wanting to sort of be on the radio, but not really wanting to be with this guy. Sort of liking him, but not really liking him, and it, all that is in his face. It's and it's uh, so and that he bring, just brings that uh, to it. You know, I, I find him incredibly watchable. You know, when I when I, I look at him, and uh, and actual fact, you know, the words. I mean, and also his, his comic judgment is good. I, you know, I would say when I was in the studio with him, I would say, should I do that three times or two times? And he'd just say. Just twice. Yes, true. I he's, he's always he's always right. He, yeah, I would but, respect but his opinion. Yeah. But when we have um, guest stars in, uh, we we don't like write a scene and think it's all right. But when they come in, they'll add a bit of magic because you can't rely on that on the day. So what you end up doing is, you know, really sort of honing it as much as you can. And by that point, when they do come in, they kind of don't want to trample on it. So. Um, yeah, we know, we know, I mean, they're always very respectful of the script when they come in, and we don't kind of cast them hoping that they'll, they'll save a scene that... We just cast people that people are writing good for the part. You know, Nigel Lindsay came in and once he was played an SAS guy, and just bring integrity to the rut. Well, one thing that they do is not so much in terms of the material, but in terms of making it authentic and not making it, like, two-dimensional, um, and, and just bringing that thing that a good actor does, which is just... Um, you know, not not almost like understating the comedy, making it authentic, and somehow, and in some ways, not trying to be funny, because you know, counterintuitively, the more authentic they make it, the funnier the whole thing will be, because it's got this, this the ring the ring of uh, you know, Alan dealing with the real world and truth. Yeah. Thank you. I think we've got time for one more question. Sorry, let's have the lady. There's a mic. One, one set. Another event after this. We could go on all night, obviously. Birds of a feather, is it? Yeah. <laughs> Birds of a feather series through. Um, I was just wondering, do you think that Alan could ever go into local politics? Um, um, the thing is, I kind of don't want to nail his cause to us, even though he's probably innately a conservative. I sort of, I, I don't want to start him going around with banners because then it looks like some trendy lefty satirist uh, having a go at the conservative party. I'd rather do that in a covert way. <laughs> uh, once the cat's out of the bag, then... Uh, I, think, I, I do think there is something about that, that although that might seem 
I mean, he might get involved in a local issue, certainly. That would be mm. that yeah. would something, but that's a territory we'd do. But, but um, I wouldn't want to align him with the party we all know he votes for because uh, it would just become, it would look, uh, if you start to, we're often quite careful about sometimes, even when we do like, we want to make jokes about the Daily Mail and everything. And people might think, oh, they're only doing that because Steve Coogan hates the Daily Mail. Um, and it got, is that. It is that. <laughs> and that and, and, but the thing is, we'll think that will be too uh, obvious. Or for some people, not that everyone knows what I think about the Daily Mail, but I hate the Daily Mail. Um, but it's, but it, it, there is um, the sort of, uh, you don't want the audience to start distracted by the way they think someone's agenda. Thank you.